Welcome to the third Amazing Race 29 recap episode of URT number, the Amazing Race podcast from RTCB Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me for the first time this season is the Canadian who is not averse to giving away foreign currencies in the place of the correct one, Logan Saunders. <laughs> Good morning. That's actually true. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm assuming you noticed that you gave me 10 Karuna, because I noticed. <laughs> What? I gave you I gave you Croatian Kuna? You did. When I dropped you off at the airport, I uh, I went into the uh, the terminal to to nip to the loo and looked at the note and went, "You bastard, you gave me 10 Karuna." <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> Genuinely, I have no, I've now got 10 Karuna in my wallet. <laughs> oh man, I, I I totally thought that was pounds. I have like I've like I could accumulate like over the past four months. I accumulated five different currencies. The funny thing is, is that Cuba they operate on three different currencies. So if I gave you ten Croatian kuna by accident, you can imagine. Uh, <laughs> you sure that's not the, you sure that's not the queen's son? You sure that's not the prince? No, I'm genuinely sure. <laughs> That that is a a genuine British five pound note that I'm holding up to the camera now. That is Karuna, <laughs> both of which have been living in my wallet. <laughs> so it's very appropriate you came back this week. Oh man, because yeah, Cuba. Did I tell you about oh, my Cuba story with the currencies? Oh man, I I was held in like the Cuban airport for like the first two and a half hours that I got there, try trying to get the right currency to pay for pay for my tourist visa, and then the taxi driver was unhappy uh, with the currency that I needed to pay him in because I didn't have anything else in my wallet due to my stupid bank. Then my credit card ate my ATM when I tried to get the right currency and I'd wait till the next day so people had to pay for my dinner and my drinks until I could pay them back the next day. So yeah, this was a very fitting episode for me to come back to, along with the dark humor that, uh, of course, uh, accompanies it. Did you find your SIM card as well? Or have you actually genuinely lost it? I lost my SIM card, yeah, I got a new one uh, yesterday. And I bet they charged you for that. Yeah. Oh, what a surprise. Welcome to the Canadian cell phone uh, industry. Yeah, they, they wanted to charge you $100 to get it unlocked, so your your phone could actually use a British SIM, which we got done for £8. Yeah, $50, $50. I thought it was 100 No, it was 50 to to unlock it the Canadian way, and then it was £8 to unlock it the British way, which it works out to about $14 Canadian. Ah, oh, Canada. On the plus note, after our ridiculous amount of mentioning it on the Amazing Race Canada podcast, Tim Hortons is obviously coming to the UK. Yay! Yeah, that's a big deal. It is. Sadly, it's going to be Glasgow, which is a few hundred miles away. But it'll be worth it'll be worth it that much more when you're riding the trains. If they come to Manchester, then I will be all over it like a trump on chips. What can I say? Timmy's do me proud. Do me, Timmy's. Do me. I didn't say that. <laughs> And seeing as though you've been away for the past two episodes, what were your thoughts on the first couple of episodes? Well, in the first scene, Phil... No, just kidding. Um, so, we just come off like Amazing Race Asia, where three out of the last four teams were all female teams. And like even on pretty much all the seasons of Amazing Race Asia, there's at least like two all-female teams in the final four, no matter what. And of course, Amazing Race Canada has had success with all-female teams, with, you know, casting five out of their ten teams last season to be all-female. Here we get one all-female team, and for some reason it continues the American Amazing Race tradition where they're gone by the end of the second episode. So, 
I'm not sure why the American version always struggles with finding all female teams who can make a deep run, like out of the past several seasons. You know, Amy and Maya barely squeak out a win uh, after a twist that works out in their favor. And then, of course, Tiffany and Krista, uh, after struggling initially, uh, you know, squeak into the final four. And then since then, you know, well, even before that, I mean, season 26 didn't even have an all female team. And then uh, this season, we get one. And they finish really close to last place the first leg. And then they can't even catch up to Shamir and Sarah in the second leg due to a series of circumstances. So it's a mixture of like bad luck and just it's just it's just the partnerships are just not working out well uh, for the all female teams in uh, America. I mean, we've talked about this at length before, but the trend continues. And I'm assuming you loved the fact that the only three teams that they introduced the the whole partnership is an amazing race tradition where the three worst teams of all time or three of them. They introduced Mark and Bopper, Margie and Luke, and what was the, who was, who were the other pair? Uh, it was Dave and Connor. Oh, Dave and Connor. Right. Yeah. Dave and Connor made that three team montage. All teams who were in season 24 made the montage. It's like, that's what frustrates me about the series at times. It's like nothing nothing officially existed before season 24 other than Joyce getting her head shaved and winning the race, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, that montage was quite frustrating. Um, I like how the partnerships have worked out in terms of who's been, who was paired up with who. I think it was the right thing for Kevin and Jen to go, go out early, even though I really liked Kevin's random antics all throughout the premiere. But in terms of... Uh, just uh, Jen just saying that she was going to use her looks to win the race and knowing the vitriol that was going to come from the online community that I'm thinking probably for her sake, it worked out really well that she went home and uh, went home at the end of the first leg. And especially with the fact they were both making Asian jokes as well. Yeah, it was a bit overkill by the end of the first step. So there's like, there's more jokes about them being Asian than Redmond has made about his leg. Despite the fact that his... YouTube name seems to be Doc Peg Leg Red Red. Yeah, like it's it's at least it's not like the Buster Bluth complex from Arrested Development where you know Buster Bluth loses his hand and he makes jokes about it, and when anybody else makes a joke about his hand, then he just completely flips out. At least Redmond's always like making people comfortable with that. It's not like uh, what'd be a good example? Probably Bethany Hamilton with uh, uh, when people when online fans were getting on other people's cases whenever they made a reference to. Uh, Bethany Hamilton's uh, physical, uh, uh, what was it, her, her arm, part of her arm is missing, yeah. yeah. But on the plus side, the fact that you made a joke about Redmond's leg meant that uh, I got to see a racer say, fuck you to you, so... It was a sarcastic one, though. It was my, it was Michael off of Liz and Michael. I know it's, that was just a joke. And I knew that people who just casually follow the fan page were just going to take you know, Michael's response seriously and think I was being some sort of mean-spirited person, then they're like, yeah, not cool, Logan Saunders. <laughs> F you, Logan Saunders. <laughs> yeah, I'm the, new, I'm the new Brad Culpepper, now that Brad Culpepper's reputation has been repaired uh, on Game Changers. Speaking of which, I've only seen like 20 minutes of Game Changers so far. I still have to catch up on all seven rounds of play. Yeah, we don't talk about that. I'm still in mourning that Sandra went. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've not watched that episode, and I've not watched the the infamous Varner episode yet either, because I can't bring myself to. Ooh, you have to watch it, though. I know, I'll watch it eventually. It's ten of the only 20 minutes I've seen so far. 
Have you um, caught up with Big Brother Canada yet? No, that's like 20 episodes. <laughs> I had a tough enough time. I barely caught up with the three episodes of Amazing Race. Did you uh, hear what happened, at least? I've heard, like, the eliminations. I heard who got the whole booing with Netta thing. That's about it. Going from the biggest, probably the biggest fan favorite other than Gary in all four seasons to being one of the most hated in the span of four weeks. Yeah, I think that from the limited amount I've seen of the season, I'm pretty sure that she kind of did it to herself with how awful she was being to everyone once she got immediate. Oh, really, eh? Yeah. I've seen one clip of one of the middle episodes that I've not seen. I think that was from the week before she went, where they were doing the slot vote, and she was awful to Gary. Like, just kicking him when he's down. Oh. So I think that might be why the public turned on her. Just thinking. Mm-hmm. So anyway, amazing race. Uh, so, previously, ten teams raced from Panama to Sao Paulo, Brazil. At the roadblock, Liz cleaned up, giving her and Michael a first-place finish. Shamir smashed and crushed, putting him and Cyrus at the back of the pack, but it was Jesse and Francesca who crashed out in tenth place. And one thing I do like about this season is the fact that they seem to be showing us the the rest period again. They're implying yeah. that people actually get to meet and mingle during the rest period, which hasn't happened for a long while. Very long while. So we do get clips like Sarah saying she's being tested, given that all she wanted from a partner preseason was someone who is nice and positive and won't get frazzled, and she got Shamir. <laughs> I guess we have to jump in right now with the... I guess you probably want me to give my take on the whole Shamir incident. Yes, I want you to, to talk about Testicle Gate. <sighs> okay. So, like, when... when t- show Shamir and Sarah checked into the pit stop at the end of the second leg there... You know, Shamir has gone on to Racers Recap. I mean, he's gone on to the fan page, pretty much cussing out anybody who's made who isn't taking his whole incident seriously. And I can say, as somebody who has gone through worse pain than uh, Shamir has in terms of that type of pain, um, I, I, he can just take my word for it. I'm not going to get into details, but I have gone through worse over a long period of time. You kind of, like. When he checked into the pit stop and then Phil is saying, hey, Shamir, you need to get over this. You need to get past this. And then Shamir, I think, has interpreted that as Phil being insensitive because I think he's talked about like producers. He feels like producers have done him dirty overall, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. like I think those were his exact words on the racer's recap. He can feel to correct me if I'm wrong, that he was just frustrated with how production uh, dealt with this whole situation. But I mean, it's tough for Shamir to hear, but I think Phil is 120% right in that Shamir does need to let that situation go. It's like, yes, it was serious. He was in ambulance. Yes, I know. I know that a situation like that really sucks and blows, and it doesn't blow in the good way down there. But I'm not, I'm not, making, I'm not really making a joke here, but like Shamir... Shamir has to let this just brush off his shoulder and just, you know, he has to not appreciate, but just, like, live with what happened. Like, the same week, you know, Jeff Varner gets into an in- that incident on Survivor where his life is ruined for Shamir. For him, it's just a little bit of physical pain, or maybe a lot of physical pain in his eyes. Maybe there are people who have, like, not as high as pain threshold as other people, but yes, that situation sucks, but as we've learned this week on CBS reality shows, there are far worse things to be afraid of and have to deal with long term. 
So I think the moment that Shamir can get past that is the moment he can have fun with the online community, appreciate the Amazing Race experience, and hopefully appreciate my commentary and our commentary on this podcast and on Twitter because I don't feel like anybody has, other than, you know, saying, other than, like, of course, the name-calling, I think any jokes made about the incident where people still like Shamir as a reality TV character, I don't feel any of that crosses the line. And and to anybody out there who is afraid of that, I encourage them that, you know, I support them that they're not crossing the line either. Maybe it was for the best that you weren't around last week to make all the ball jokes. Yeah, because it's, I mean, I mean, I still have to do my Twitter play-by-play recap, and I'm not really going to... I'm not really going to shy away from that. I'm still going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm balls deep in this episode and stuff like that, you know? Like, that's 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 just who I am, just a positive, fun person. I'm not going to worry too much about an incident that I personally don't view as being serious enough to, you know, get worked up and angry about, if that makes sense. That's just not who I am. <laughs> yeah, I sort of said last week that Basically, I've worn quite a lot of harnesses because I've done like rock climbing and abseiling and high wires courses and stuff. You just have to get it done quick. There's a very good reason that I set the the speed record on the high wires course that I did in February last year, and that's because if you piss around too much, it'll hurt more. You just have to suck it up. Yeah, and if you are on there long enough, then it's like, yeah, he was accused because his big main point was that it could cause permanent damage, but. There's other things that can get get permanent damage that I feel would put yourself in a lot worse uh, situation. It's not the worst thing in the world. No. And we also get to see Permasmile London say she hates drama. Yeah. <laughs> Is it just me, or does she really resemble Sarah Jessica Parker? I can't get that comparison out of my head. She does, but also she never stops smiling. It's kind of creepy. I'm curious what her reaction to like this podcast and like the <laughs> our jokes would be. I can't tell if London's like completely compatible with our sense of humor. I think we'd probably hear that we're harshing her mellow. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure we're we're very London friendly. <laughs> I, I think we're we're much closer to the the Mikey negative and Joey and people like that. And Tara, and I think, uh, who is it? Uh, Redmond as well. Redmond. There was a couple of the other ones. Oh, Liz. Liz is following me on Twitter now. And Vank as well is is Vank. one of your besties. Yeah, Vank, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's still more, I mean, and of course, Scott. Scott's going to always be in our corner. Um, and Brooke as well. We like Brooke. So, yeah, that's pretty, I mean, it's, we're going to, we're going to be liked by association. <laughs> And of course, speaking of, you know, Shamir's uh, junk incident, the start of the episode, we're talking about his junk again, as Sarah would say. <laughs> it's It'd be funny if that, like, is, like, mentioned in every single episode for the rest of the season. It's like when Shamir and Sarah start the uh, pit stop, it's like Shamir gives us a check-in on how on how his testicles are doing. I would love it if Phil just put it in every previously on segment. Previously on The Amazing Grace, Shamir's junk got squashed. <laughs> It'd be funny if it's like just there's like a new junk incident each week though, like uh, on The Simpsons where man gets hit in the groin by football and it's just a uh, Shamir accidentally getting hit in the groin by football, just like in The Simpsons, or uh, you know it's like they 
just replace something that happens to Shamir with like a clip from America's quote unquote funniest home videos. And it's just, and they like start adding in sound effects and stuff where it's like just, just to, just for the producers to piss off Shamir that much more. One thing I did forget to mention on last week's podcast is how funny Shamir and Sarah's check-in with Billy actually is. Like, I wish we would have done a dramatic reading of the Shamir and Phil conversation. Because at one point, Shamir just goes, so funny! Yeah. <laughs> Which is actually what a lot of the contestants' reaction is to this podcast each week. <laughs> I don't think Shamir realises how funny he actually is. <laughs> Yeah, as soon as he as soon as he embraces that, like he like in all seriousness, he will have a lot more fun with the season interacting with fans. It's just it's still like the first couple of weeks where it's still like that feeling out process. He doesn't realize the unintentional comedy that he provides. I think that would that would be. I think I think you're you've hit the nail on the head, uh, Michael. He's just he's so ridiculous that actually, if he lightens up a little bit, he probably will have a lot more fun. But he's that sort of high-strung in the show that he just doesn't realise how stupidly funny he's being. Yeah, like, he's the top-tier character for this season. Like, I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that if I was on Tar, I would not be as highly strung as him. Because as everyone found out who watched me on The Code, I am very competitive. And actually, you and Mark Doyle can vouch for the fact that I'm competitive just from the fact we did a quiz. Yeah, just such one trivia game together. I, I know full well that I would be exactly the same, but he just needs to lighten up and see the humour in it. And like he's always going to be remembered as the guy whose balls got squashed on Tar now, whether he likes it or not. Yeah, like you know how like Claire off of Brooke and Claire, like everywhere she goes, people want her to take a picture with a watermelon after she suffered a, you know, like, because her injury was really serious. Like she was attended to and they're like, well, you still got to finish out this leg, Claire. And then Claire's like, are you serious? But then, like, later on, she was able to find the sense of humor in it and being able to embrace the whole Amazing Race experience. And now she takes pictures with watermelons with all the fans who approach her. So I don't know what Shamir is going to be like when, when like, you know, people are holding, like, two nuts next to him or something like that and wanting to take pictures with him. Hasn't Claire gone on record to say that she signed watermelons for people before? Yeah, she signed them, yeah. Autographs. Like, that, this is going to be his legacy, unless he does something even more stupid. His legacy is always going to be the guy whose balls got crushed on tar. And the fact that he punched a window. I think that's what took the situation over the top, is the fact that he punched the window. I mean, people like, because that was another thing on Racer's Recap, is that uh, Shamir was asking James Earl, like, well, what would, have you, what would you have done? And James Earl was just like, well, I just wouldn't have punched the window as a way to relieve the pain. So, yeah, that's... Uh, that's what took the situation, I think, over the top for a lot of people, and that's part of the reason why I think Shamir is still being really defensive about the whole thing and not being like, okay, I know in the moment, you know, I probably took things a bit far with punching the window, but it's all all okay now. We can just laugh about it. That is 120% how Shamir needs to be now. I mean, this I know the episode is fresh because it's only been like a little over a week, but the actual filming was about a year ago, and I think Shamir just needs to take a deep breath and move on. Yeah, I think he needs to realize that he is the cartoon villain of the season. Yeah. So let's get to episode uh, three, or we're almost half an hour in. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very glad that you're back, because two very important things reappeared this episode. One was start times, the other was leg money. We have a classic tar leg officially. Yes! We got both! 
They listen to the fans. Finally, after about two years of moaning about it, we have a leg that has nine teams with all the start times and the leg money. What? $320? So, teams have to fly to Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and find the Ascari Monument, where they will find their next clue, hidden in a newspaper. They have $320 for this leg of the race. Caution, blind double hyper-mega U-turn ahead. Liz is the... Surprisingly, I thought more people would mispronounce Dar es Salaam, but it's only the cowgirl auctioneer that screws it up. And that's the last time Liz and Michael pretty much screw up anything for the rest of this leg. They are vastly impressing me right now. Did we look into the records and see if a team had ever gone from checking out the first pit stop and last to winning the very next leg without the aid of a fast forward? I think it has happened a couple of times, but worst to first is a very impressive record, and then following it up with the first is even better. Okay, that probably hasn't happened. Oh no, or other than like Derek and Drew, I guess, would have, but they had a fast forward to you, so they don't count. You just have to bear in mind that they have gone from 10th place in the rankings to second in two legs. In terms of overall average, which directly contradicts what Phil said, saying, well, you guys are the best performing team here. And it's like, Phil, do you not know how to do team averages? You suck at that. You suck. Do some math, Phil. Yeah. And this was before anybody else checked in. It's like, well, I guess I guess in that very moment, based on like, out of all one teams that has checked into all three pit stops, yes, Liz and Michael are the best performing team. And it is Liz and Michael who leave at 8.47am, with Bank and Ashton at 8.48, Matt and Redmond at 8.59, Seth and Olive at 9.32, Becker and Floyd 9.56, Brooke and Scott 9.57, Tara and Joey 9.58, London and Logan at 10.04, and Shamir and Sarah at 11.23. And uh, we get a flashback to the whole uh, coin toss uh, thing from the previous leg between Bank and Ashton and Redmond and Matt. Because that won't come back. No, that was just completely irrelevant flashback, just just to remind us of the of the good times. The editing last week was so unsubtle that Matt and Redmond were getting U-turned. <laughs> it was horrendously obvious. And I've also heard a rumour on the subject of a U-turn that they've adopted the Canadian rule. It wasn't a rumor. Michael flat out says it in the episode. Michael and yeah, my, Liz when Liz and Michael in the cab. Michael's like, "Well, uh, there's unlimited U-turns this season. Like, it's not a rumor. He just flat out said it." Awesome. I didn't realize that he'd actually confirmed it, but yeah, it, he's yeah in a cab drive. Yeah, I, I mean the twist has already run its course in the Canadian version, but of course the American contestants have never seen the Canadian version, so maybe we might see something new come along with it, but. Considering it was unlimited, the first two teams to the U-turn board, just like in the Canadian version, both used their U-turn. Yeah, because that makes a lot more sense with why both teams used it. Because otherwise I would say never use a first U-turn ever. Yeah, you can scratch that out from your notes. It's it's unlimited this time. They copied Canada. They've copied the one good thing about Canada. Well, actually, no, they copied two of the good things, the other being good casting for once. Mm-hmm. And Matt and Redmond say that they are Team Man. To us, they're always the boys. And interestingly, and I've had this confirmed on social media now, Scott teaches Brooke what the word quiche means, which endears me to him even more, because I know what that is a reference to. It's a reference to one of my favourite comedy shows ever called Summer Heights High. Well, it's a reference to Chris Lilly's shows, and in one of his latest shows, a show called Jemay Private School Girl, he does use the word quiche to 
have exactly the same meaning as what Scott said in the cab. But that's where it comes from. He came up with a, a completely stupid word that he that has now been adopted, basically. What does it mean? Quiche com- uh, is sort of hotter than hot. Okay, that is hot. that's what I wrote down in my notes. So I'm like, I'm, I'm not familiar with that at all. And then Brooke even quotes, Brooke proceeds to quote Danny Glover from Lethal Weapon. <laughs> I'm too old for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too old for quiche. <laughs> that's where quiche comes from. And... I also love that in the three weeks that we've been talking about him, Logan has been completely irrelevant. Yeah, what a Mr. Bauer. Mr. Bauer isn't like the central character of screen time. He's getting this Bauer's getting as much time airtime as the other Bauer has in Twenty Four Legacy this season. I think we actually talked about him more on the preview than we've seen him on any of the three episodes. And we only have, the only reason why we talked about him in the one preview is because we ran that one joke. Into the ground repeatedly. That doesn't sound like us, Logan. How dare you? Casting aspersions. And unlike the last episode, instead of six flights, we get just one flight. Yeah, but I can't say I'm surprised. From Sao Paulo to Dar es Salaam, probably not the most popular uh, tourist destination for Brazilians. No, it's very rare anymore that when they're flying South America to... Africa or Europe, we ever get more than one flight now. I guess the only last time may have been with uh, the actually the last uh, Zanzibar leg and uh, Amazing Race Real All Stars when teams were 17 hours apart from when the first team checked into the last place team. Phil Kogan looked so tired that day. On the plus side, they are channeling Hammerots, which is nice. How so? Well, the the market where they. Uh, did the roadblock was the site of the infamous uh, Hammerots incident from last year, where uh, a team managed to eliminate themselves by not reading their clue and eating 80 cones of nuts. <laughs> what were they supposed to do? The clue was, here's 80 cones of nuts. In one of them, you'll find your next route marker next to a picture of the host. However, any cone you, you open, you have to eat. And this team, who at that point were the front runners of the season, misread the clue and thought you have to eat all eighty cones anyway. So they ate the clue. No, they they ate all eighty cones worth of nuts and then found the clue anyway. But they found the clue quite early and then continued to eat the nuts anyway. Oh, they ate they so they had the clue early and then they just thought they had to eat all eighty. Yeah. Oh man, that's embarrassing. Yeah, and they were at that point the the best performing team. Wow. Rough way to go out. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, well, we do get one little clip with uh, Bauer in this episode where he gets hit by the trunk yeah. when he tries to leave the cab. Well done him. I'm proud of him. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we get the newspaper clue tradition revived from some of the early seasons. I think both season 12 and 13 used a newspaper clue, if I'm not mistaken. 13 definitely did, because that was in uh, one of their South American legs, wasn't it? Yeah, and then 12, 12 did it in uh, India, I thought. I can't remember. It's off my Could have sworn it was like their their uh, Mumbai leg. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you love Vank. Yes. <laughs> Where did they find him? I don't know, but I'm, I'm glad cast the casting went beyond the, the Sierra Reed uh, taco stand and, uh, and were able to find him elsewhere and bring him into the race. Like, genuinely, what lab did they find him in? 
he has a comp he can read a compass that's a lot more than what most than uh some of the teams from amazing race asia's starting line uh last year we had so much fun with vank the sat nav from episode one <laughs> him just saying no 135 degrees it's like a perfect almost not quite a perfect right turn for stop it's an orthogonal turn you know and I love I love the Floyd face that he makes uh, whenever whenever Floyd gets like one percent excited about something, he immediately jumps up to that over the top Floyd Floyd uh, hyper happy face, <laughs> which just cracks me up every single time. I'm gobsmacked that we didn't predict Becker and Floyd because they are a perfect match for each other, just like Brooke and Scott are. <laughs> Sip up your effing fanny pack. <laughs> 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 yeah, because Intense Becca definitely won't come back. Oh, I love that it's a, it's an FU meter when Becca gets pissed. The fun meter, to the, it's like FU on one end and then fun on the other. That would be the perfect game to play to have Becca on this podcast and be like, uh, like chickens, FU or fun. <laughs> so once teams find the clue, they see that it tells them to take a ferry to Zanzibar and then head to Mukatoni Market, where the blind will U-turn board awaits. It's beyond the, the scary monument. And, to top it all off, the U-turn takes place before the detour. <gasps> People were saying it never happened before, but... Wrong. Happened in season 27, and that's just the American version, if I'm not mistaken. It did, and we had quite a large discussion about this during our 27 recaps, because I don't hate it at all. It's basically halfway between a normal U-turn and the must-vote U-turn. It's like not quite a perfect stop, or not quite a forced stop. I really like the fact that they occasionally switch it up with this sort of thing. Yeah, like, uh, I was thinking why why the America because this is another thing being copied from Amazing Race Canada, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I'm just thinking from an editing and producer's perspective why they would copy this from Canada as well. And I'm thinking it's because normally with a U-turn, you have to wait till closer to the end of the episode to when it gets used, so there's all the suspense build-up. And then by the time the U-turn happens, you have a good idea if that U-turn team is going to survive or not. But by having it much earlier in the episode, I think it creates more drama in terms of it appearing like the team has a lot more room to catch up. Yeah, and and also, as this episode proved, it's not really a death sentence if you're U-turned, because Matt and Redmond managed to smoke most of the teams. And I've heard that the only time a team has done better with the U-turn uh, is the one lone English-speaking season of The Amazing Race that I have yet to see. Well, Australia too. Yeah. Yeah, you would be correct there. I wasn't going to mention that, but yes, you would be correct there. Yeah, somebody already spoiled it in the thread. <laughs> well, and I, that's what I was thinking anyway. It's like, well, if it's no spoilers and there's only one season I haven't seen that still has a U-turn... Pretty sure that's the one by default then, Michael. <laughs> and more impressively, it's a single U-turn as well. Ooh. There is a reason that that happens, but I'm not telling you what that is just yet. Remember the good old days when like the first five or six American seasons where if you got U-turned, you were 100% guaranteed to see a U-turn team uh, you know, be the bottom one or bottom two, depending if it was a double U-turn or not? Here we get, you know, we're way past that. Where one team, you know, nearly wins the leg anyway. And just to increase their target even more, Matt and Redmond skip the line at the ferry terminal just to 
engineer even more goodwill for themselves. Right before the U-turn, too. Like, they've already... They know that they've upset Vank and Ashton, and now they've cut in in front of everybody in line, even though everybody's going to be on that same boat. Let's just be clear. I love Matt and Redmond. Well, I love Redmond especially. But that is a very stupid move, guys. Yeah. There's, there's, no, there's no way around that. And hopefully, you know, Redmond doesn't beat himself too much over that. But, uh, yeah. Not the best thing to do in that situation. That's when the hyper-competitive spirit overtakes all rationale. I mean, the only logical reason that they did it was to try and make sure that they'd get to the U-turn board first. What they should have done on the way to cutting in line is that they spit on each contestant's face, just to just to solidify that they will would in fact be U-turn. That's like the only only worst thing that they could have done. And uh, you know what? In the boat ride, I really wish Charla and Myrna were back so that we could have seen Myrna uh, or uh, Charla throw up on the boat ride to Zanzibar again. We missed it on that. Real All Stars was a very vomy season, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. That's what makes it so awesome. It's the one reason I'm disappointed that uh, Jen went out first was purely because I couldn't make any more Miss Korea California jokes. If only. Also, just for the record, we did predict Jen would go out first. Just patting ourselves on the back there. And we also thought that Kevin would go out early, if I'm not mistaken. We did. But we didn't think that they would pair up. Which proved to be a very disastrous pair. So yeah, Mike says that he wants to U-turn because there's unlimited U-turns. And then Tara and Joey... Uh, U-turn Seth and Olive, and Van Ashton, U-turn Matt and Redmond. Oh, before that, though, we do get another fun London moment. Do we? Yeah, because when everyone's jumping off the boat, I, I can't remember who says it, but somebody's like, wow, look at the scenery. And then, like, half a second later, London's like, holy hell, look at the people. And I know what she was, what she, like, meant by that. Like, you know, look at the people and how they're living and stuff when they were on the boat, when they were, like, approaching Zanzibar. But just the way she said it makes it sound like she's like gonna go up to somebody and have like a you know have like a magnifying glass and be like, "Wow, look at the people!" <laughs> yeah, like she's never been to Africa at all. It's like, "Wow, look at the people! Look at look at the outfits! I've never seen anything like this." <laughs> it was like one of my favorite moments from the whole episode. <laughs> She just got so excited over it. Just like, look at the people. They're like colors and stuff. So then it is the detail, which is build it or weave it. And in build it, teams must build and deliver two school desks and then learn four Swahili words to get their next clue. And in weave it, teams must weave two shopping bags out of coconut leaves to get their next clue. And which one would you have picked? Um, I'll get to that in a second, but the weave it task, it's kind of funny because everyone's referencing themselves as a weaver. And I think... If it would be great if A, the Weaver family from Amazing Race Family Edition was the team that did the demonstration that, uh, and that uh, Raleigh would have been the one to climb up the tree. Uh, and, or B, Mrs. Weaver from the Weird Al movie UHF who plays in Wheel of Fish, if Mrs. Weaver uh, was at the task as well. And just for the record, I probably would have built the desks. Yeah, I think so too. We've seemed difficult, even if you get Yambo uh, climbing up the tree. Which, thanks to Conan O'Brien, I knew that Yambo did translate to dragonfly. But they called him butterfly. It could maybe there's like maybe the same word is used for dragonfly and butterfly, or there's like a maybe like a one letter spelling difference. I don't know, but I, I just know that maybe Conan O'Brien was mistaken. Maybe 
Maybe my Swahili education should not be taught by Conan O'Brien. As has previously been discussed on this podcast, I know one word of Swahili, which is Makundu, which is the Swahili word for arse. And that is because one of my friends is saved in my phone as Kundi McFunbags. Short for Makundu. I thought you've seen Lion King, so you would have known what Hakuna Matata means. Uh, And I am (laughs) obsessed with the Lion King, so yeah, Hakuna Matata. And Jambo. (laughs) Because of Kilimanjaro safaris from Disney. So yeah, I know four words. Four words. (laughs) You know all the words. You know the best Swahili words. Yeah. Arse, no worries, and hello. (laughs) What a combination. And um, both details do require teams to travel there by Dow. Which does bring Shala and me into flashbacks. Yes. More vomiting. In a good way. Oh, Phil's detour explanation. It's funny because he's like, in, you know, in, in Zanzibar, education is a priority. And then I'm thinking in my mind, isn't education a priority in almost every country in the world? It'd be great if like Phil was on there and said, in Zanzibar, nobody could give more of a shit about education. <laughs> <laughs> teams must dismantle these 10 desks in the school and karate chop the hell out of them. But it's like, yes, Phil, education is a priority in almost every country in the world. Like some some people in, in third world countries do not have as much access to education as other people, but it's still they still view it as a priority and something that everybody wants. You need to cut him as a little bit of slack. After 29 seasons, he's running out of detour explanations. Yeah. It's, yeah, like, it was, by season 32 or 33, if we get there, Phil's going to be like, there's this task that you've seen, like, 20 times before, I don't need to, I don't need to justify this, and it's other task, which I also don't need to justify this, screw you guys, I'm going home. Uh, yeah, R- Matt and Redmond prove themselves slightly bitter over being U-turned. <laughs> and Van and Ashton's reaction to this is hilarious. They're just skipping and hopping along while Matt and Redmond are cursing them out. Usually it's like a really serious, heated discussion when one team confronts another team about a U-turn. But Van Ashton are just, you know, like skipping along as if they're going along to the yellow brick road. Yeah, Ashton doesn't care, and Redmond's just relishing being really sarcastic to them. Yeah, Ashton doesn't care as much as, like, Fred Durst from Limp Bizkit, because if we don't care, then she don't care. And... Joey lies about you turning Seth and Olive as well. Yeah, he just he used his Boston innocence. Well, there's no such thing as Boston innocence, but he just just he just yeah he just flat out denies it. He's like, what on a season with unlimited U turns? <laughs> that I you think that I would use a U turn when I was the first team to the U turn board? Come on! <laughs> Please tell me you love the way that Joey says Tara as well. Tara. 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 That was my partner. <laughs> it, it means that finally we can stop referencing Tara Basra. Tara Basra. <laughs> Tara Car. That's, that's just even worse for him, actually, with the Boston accent that her last name is Car. Tara Car is my partner. <laughs> <laughs> Why is your Boston accent a little bit Schwarzenegger? Tara, get to the job. <laughs> Boston Arnold. Boston Arnold. Get to the car, park it down. I think Boston Arnold needs to be a recurring character. I'll be back. I'll be back with Tara Car. Tara Carna. 
You do realise if you ever go to Boston and Joey finds you, he's going to beat the shit out of you now. <laughs> oh, man. I think it needs to get to the point where we just go to the US and visit all of our friends. So we go visit Lee and Hilmar, Mike and Roe, Haley. Just have them as like our security entourage or something like that. Entourage. You know, if we did a tour of America and visit all the Amazing Race contestants, it'll make the damage that was done to Shamir's testicles look like child's play, I think, by the time we get back. I think what what we should do is instead of Amazing Race Canada, we should just do a US tour. It won't look worse than the guy who was dragged off of United Airlines. Very true. <laughs> look at what you did to them! <laughs> In Shamir's world, his balls being crushed is worse than the guy getting dragged on the plane. Yeah. Shamir won't be able to hire two lawyers to uh, to compensate. But it's like, yeah, we visit Joe, visit Joey in Boston. It's like, oh no, police brutality, police brutality. <laughs> okay, back to this episode. Um, so Van and Ashton are dan- dancing away from Matt and Redmond's uh, interrogation, um, and then Redmond. Pres- this is probably like what. Uh, probably drew some of the criticism from the the viewers online is because Redmond on air says that Fank and Ashton are a weak and pathetic team because then it just seems like he's just name calling and petty about it, which is actually one of the funniest complaints this week is that somebody referred to Redmond as being petty. So I think that based off of that is where Redmond's going to get a lot of his negative feedback from. And to be fair to them, Fank and Ashton actually aren't that far behind Matt and Redmond really. Yeah, like they have like real, they have like the same relatively the same average. Yeah, in the past two legs, they have beaten Matt and Redmond. Yeah, and Brooke has simultaneously wet and cold feet in her partnership with Scott. I love Brooke so much. Brooke is awesome <laughs> because unlike Shamir, she knows how ridiculous she is. If that's the thing that I always tell all the contestants before they go on, it's like. You can't take your reputation seriously on reality television unless you're in like a Jeff Varner situation, which is, you know, a whole, whole other topic. You just got to relax and have fun with how it plays out on TV. You better relax, bro. Yes. Yes, Rodney. Um, and then we get the next Shamir scene that draws criticism from the fan base. Poor him. He he outdoes his ruptured balls by getting a splinter. <laughs> Damn it. That was my joke. That wasn't going to be my joke for a few more minutes, but I had something before that. I can't believe you said that he had a splinter in the next episode, though. It's like, now editors are just, just having fun. More, more Editors are having mon- more fun with Shamir than we are, and I think that's what's pissing Shamir off that much more. It's like, did they really have to air the comment about me saying I have a splinter right after the whole testicle incident? Spoilers, in episode four, he's going to stub his toe on something. Or what would be funny is in episode five, if they have to collect, like, gather pieces of wood, and then Shamir's, they're going to take a quote out of context where Shamir's like, oh, yeah, I have lots of wood, or, uh, you know, I have a lot of wood in my hand right now, or something like that. And it's like, oh, man, they're just not going to let up on him at all. For producers and editors to do this, it's a real shot below the belt for them. (laughs) You've been waiting so long to do that joke. (laughs) Yes, I have. Okay, and then... And then here with Shamir, you know, last episode he says, oh, I'm an alpha male. And then this episode, oh, yeah, my my sister builds all of my, stu- all of my uh, furniture for me. So now people were making comments saying, oh, you're not an alpha male because your sister does, does your Ikea furniture for you. 
So Shamir's not getting. I think Shamir must have pissed off like pr- production editors with with uh, how he reacted to some of the things on the race because they're just absolutely burying him, and it's only three episodes in. I have a feeling Shamir's lasting a while this season. That this is just the beginning of of the edit. I would 100% agree. I think that producers were probably a little bit pissed off with how he reacted to Phil last episode, and now they're just having fun with him. Now they're toying with him. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we we actually have two more London moments. It's like every moment in the team is a London moment, but there's no Bauer moments. What was it? We get London saying, oh, when, she, when they go to the weaving task, she's like, oh, hey, butterfly. And I'm thinking, did she just quote Kurt Russell from the movie Death Proof? Are we going to have, like, the the Yambo butterfly guy up in the tree, like, come on down and, like, give her a lap dance or something? Like, that's going to, that'd be a really weird twist for Amazing Race. Maybe that's why it airs at 10 o'clock at night. It's like a Quentin Tarantino reference. How awesome. Uh, and then we get uh, London's uh, crocheting history, where we get a montage and more references to her bio of all the crazy things that she's been able to crochet on such short notice. And here we are, we have a weaving task, and she gets nervous and gets embarrassed by having to switch to the desk-building task. I felt slightly bad for her that they bigged her up so much with her crocheting history, and then, you know, she, she five-holes it. Yeah, that's a complete five-hole, yeah. Another thing stolen from Amazing Race Canada this episode. And, and, and people think that Canada steals from American culture. Not the case this time. Back when Amazing Race Canada was good. Yes. And the guy checking on the desks is smacking everything with the ruler. And I am not going to further elaborate on that now that I just realized how that came out of my mouth. (laughs) It'd be funny if he was like, you've been a naughty little desk and just starts hitting it with the ruler. Haven't you? Whack. (laughs) It's Amazing Race after Tahawk. Yes. Right in the nuts and bolts of the desk. I can tell you're back. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Just I can tell you're back. Europe and Cuba has just completely refreshed me, I think. Your visit to the red light district in Amsterdam has completely refreshed you. Yeah, I actually got to check out a coffee shop. I didn't, I didn't, for the record, I did not use or purchase anything from the coffee shop. I just tagged along with a couple of other people because I was curious how it was. And yeah, it's like a fast food restaurant in there. It's weird. And... Um... Then we get maybe my quote of the episode, which is, Brooke is very negative. <laughs> or uh, when Seth and Olive are finishing the first half of the detour with the desks, and how Seth is like, oh, check, please. That could have really confused a lot of people, depending on where you were. If he was just going to get a bill for $320 or something like that. And maybe that's why him and Olive had to resort to Brazilian currency to pay for things. And Liz and Michael get rejected, which leaves Seth and Olive to complete build in first, with Liz and Michael in second. Then Brooke and Scott get rejected, and uh, Tara and Joey complete build in third. And then Redmond jokes about Seth trying to detain the basket. He'll probably arrest it, detain it, you know, taser it. I'm very surprised that there was not any backlash for that joke. Because, like, we know it was a joke. I'm not sure certain people in America would take it as a joke. Well, any time that you, like, really say anything about military or law enforcement amongst a certain percentage of the community, like, you could just say, like, oh, you know, he's a cop, he must really like Cheerios, or, you know, just something that has nothing to do with anything, 
and people will overreact, be like, oh, how dare you reference that? That's my, like, Cheerios and, and stuff like that. <laughs> I like my impression of the casual fan. <laughs> um, and uh, the Yambo guy in the tree is twerking while climbing the tree. He twerks. He's the Miley Cyrus of the coconut world. Cole from Sharing Cole would be very proud. Cole would have done the same thing if he was climbing that tree, I'm sure. And we also get a not a dude. Sorry. Sarah is not a dude. Not a dude. Sorry. <laughs> it was just a sorry that made me laugh. I like Another thing borrowed from a Mason Race Canada. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, not a dude. <laughs> and um, Liz and Michael leave in first, and teams must now find the Darajani market and search for the next clue under a red and yellow umbrella. And... Matt and Redmond complete Weave in fourth, and then Tara and Joey leave in second. Frank and Ashton complete Build in fifth, with Becker and Floyd in sixth, and London and Logan in seventh. And then Brooke and Scott leave in third, Frank and Ashton fourth, Becker and Floyd fifth, and London and Logan sixth. And then Matt and Redmond in seventh. And then Shamir and Sarah in eighth, and Seth and Olive in last. Because they could not, it was like the the one time they struggle with the task is when they get the U-turn. Bummer for them. Uh... The Roblox hint was really mean to Joey. Market research. Like, are we just going to get a whole bunch of Roblox hints that's just going to toy with uh, Joey's Boston accent? A whole bunch of Boston stereotypes. Yeah. Oh, man. Joey and Shamir. Production's going to give them a rough time this season. <laughs> At least Tara and Joey are actually shown this week. Yeah, because well, even 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 though they U turned another team, they were still like they had very minimal airtime in contrast to Vank and Ashton. Like there was no drama about Tara and Joey U turning Seth and Olive. No drama at all. Probably because it's very likely that Vank and Ashton and Matt and Redmond's rivalry will continue, whereas Tara and Joey and Seth and Olive's not so much. Yeah. That's true. But they didn't even make a big deal about Tara and Joey even using the U-turn. Like, for Bank and Ashton, it's like 80% of the fans were on their side, but still, like, 20% of the fans were were just really against them. But here, it's like nobody could care less. Uh, nobody could not care less uh, about uh, Tara and Joey using the U-turn. It's like, eh, whenever. It's just, you know, it's just team mom and dad using the U-turn. Who gives a shit? And just so we're clear, U-turning, strategy, not illegal. Not a li- yeah, not not until a law gets passed that Seth or Joey can enforce. Not against the spirit of anything in Amazing Race. You can U-turn because otherwise it wouldn't be there. Lord knows, I wish it wouldn't be there because it's unnecessary strategy. But yeah, it's not illegal in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and Olive is wicked stressed uh, during the detour. Wicked stressed, not just regular stressed. Wicked stressed. I'm going to mess up my volume was fun. And we get the worst hashtag of all. We get hashtag what's for dinner for the roadblock. Is it worse than scared spitless? Uh, I don't know, but production editors, the hashtags are unnecessary. And I feel sorry for you. Or when, oh, when Brooke's carrying the desk, when she's like, ow, ow, ow. And then Scott says, what are you owing about? Oh, nothing. (laughs) I just love those interactions like that. And um, it is the roadblock, which is who's ready to do market research. 
And in this row of Block 1 team member must use their leg money to buy all the items on a shopping list that is written in Swahili. And once they deliver all the items, they receive their next clue. And it is Joey, Michael, Vank, Floyd, London, Brooke, Matt, Sarah, and Olive doing this roadblock. And Michael knows food, so of course he excels at this roadblock. And in another quote that can be taken out of context, at one point, Joey is going through the market and he asks, or he says that he's looking for a chicken head. I can't believe those words are aired on national television without like a whole group of people just giggling to themselves. And the the biggest victory for me of this roadblock was the fact that Brooke did it. Because I knew Brooke interacting with locals would be awesome. She was just freaking out a little bit, I guess, eh? Or... <laughs> Brooke having to deal with locals is just awesome. Not only Julia dealing with locals, but having to haggle for stuff in the process. <laughs> it's like if Scott's worst fear is going down, you know, is heights, I'd imagine one of Brooke's worst fears is probably having to be in a highly intense social social situation with a lot of people and a lot of things going on at once. And Vank also finds people to do it for him. Yeah, he was looking for he was looking for red bananas, which I'm sure Vank would have been willing to point out, but in the video game Donkey Kong 64, that was the colored bananas that Diddy Kong would collect were the red bananas. And continuing one of my favorite subplots of the entire season, Joey gets duped by a non-halal chicken. Yes. He can't even find the right chicken head. Joey being the one person to to always make mistakes is just awesome. <laughs> I was trying to think who like who the chicken head would be that would come out, but I feel like no matter who I pick, it would be come off as too offensive, so I'll refrain from making a joke about that. I'm disappointed in you. You're such a chicken head, Michael. <laughs> You're a chicken head. Hey, 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 hey. That's it that's inappropriate. And I, I didn't specify it exactly what, but Shamir says something about 85 million times. I can't remember what he said 85 million times, but that's just in my notes. I have no idea either. Damn it. I just have Shamir 85 million times, and I, it's right after... Uh, oh, I know what it is. It's when uh, he's trying to carry the desk, where he's like underneath the desk with lifting it above his shoulders... And then he has to constantly repeat for where Sarah to stand, and they just cannot cooperate with transporting the desk at all. And it even carries over into the commercial break. And when we come back from commercial, Shamir's still yelling at Sarah about how to help him with lifting the desk, rather than all the other teams who just each carried one end of the desk. Yeah, I get the impression that he's maybe not that good at thinking ahead. No, probably very a very in-the-moment type of guy. Whereas the best strategy is obviously to balance it unless you really are a guy with a weak female or or whatever. The best plan is to balance it because then it's easier for both of you. And that's how normal people would carry it. But of course, Jameer has to be the hero and just carry it on his head. <laughs> I just want to do it like the other Tanzanians who just carry the basket of fruit on their head. <laughs> I thought I could do that with the whole desk. Do it like the Tanzanians. <laughs> do it like the Tanzanians, exactly. Uh, so Floyd, London, and Brooke say they're going to bang it out and work on this task together. See, I thought my sixth sense was supposed to be the dirty jokes. <laughs> I've been gone for four months. What do you expect from me? Oh, man. Um, and then uh, Sarah accidentally smashes Shamir's face when they're transporting the desk. So what you're saying is that Sarah is a smasher. She is a smasher, indeed. And then, yeah, then... Uh, 
Michael's already done the roadblock in first, and they have to go to the Emerson Unhurumzi uh, to see one of... I don't even know Zanzibar was famous for this. The only thing I knew about Zanzibar is that they were famous for uh, the Amazing Race Real All-Stars and for Freddie Mercury, but they're also famous for the rooftop hotels. So that's where they got to go. And also, Hammerotts did visit Freddie Mercury House as a clue marker. What? And the American version didn't do that. You know how many jokes I would have had that wouldn't have been sexual innuendo? There are rumors that there's a Freddie Mercury house visit next week, but I'm not 100%. Oh, there better be. There better be. Hammerotts did do it, though, because Hammerotts is awesome. And then uh, Shamir and Sarah are so low on cash um, that I was very close to making another... Uh, Make, make another, yeah, another Shamir joke, but I feel like I've already made more than enough on this podcast. Uh, so they already uh, debate for the cab there, and Sarah is left to go shopping. I had more, more notes there, but I've already pushed it too much, I think. And then uh, Liz and Michael go to check into the pit stop, and to add insult to the very uphill injury, Phil from on top of the rooftop, while Liz and Michael are still climbing, he says to them, it's like a, it's like a mountain here, eh? It's, like, really tall. Who who would make you climb 100 steps to check into the pit stop? What asshole would do that, guys? It's like, you in production, Phil. <laughs> it's a Phil Kogan dick moment. Uh, Phil Kogan dick moment. That's another insult to Shamir, I think. Um, uh, so Liz and Michael check into the pit stop. First place once again after finishing the first leg in dead la- or close to well in dead last. They're saved by a penalty, and they are told they're going to Amsterdam, where instead of staying at the J in Amsterdam, which I thought would have been very fitting, they have to stay at a place called the W. So I we get to miss out on a marijuana reference. And Phil says they're the best team, performing team, even though Phil that's not true. Doesn't understand team averages as we discussed earlier. And then we keep going on where teams are trying to get tomatoes, a type of tomato, and then the people at the market said, well, they're not in season. So I was thinking that teams would be given the wrong tomatoes just because the locals would override the decision to for them to get tomatoes that were in season rather than the correct tomatoes on the shopping list. But it seems like nobody screws up with that, so that was kind of a moot point. And Scott is stunned by Matt and Redmond uh, finishing... Uh, the roadblock in fourth place. It's going to take a lot for Matt and Redmond to, to get eliminated, I think. Yeah. Especially comparing them to Seth and Olive, who, at this point, did have the best average. Yeah, and Seth and Olive are done. Yeah. Seth and Olive don't even come close to to doing, to catching up. No. I don't, I don't think, I, didn't, I haven't read any eggs in your interviews yet, but I'm guessing it had to be like, if they did the running route instead of the taxi route, and how exhausted they looked after running, I'm thinking they got to be close to like a half hour behind. Yeah, and the rest. Mm-hmm. And Becca and Floyd finish the roadblock, and they summon the taxi driver, Abdul, who for some reason is named on screen, but for a very good reason, later on in the episode. I was wondering why Abdul was named, but very impressive. <laughs> yes. Unlike James and Abba, he did not take off with their passport. And Sarah runs out of cash, and she has to... I can't believe anybody has tried to do this in a third-world country, but she has to beg for some of the money back from the shopkeepers, which 
just from a week spent in Cuba is a very tough thing to do. Yeah, it's not always a comfortable scene for teams to have to bag in third world countries. From usually vendors in countries where once they get that money, they're not going to be very willing to give some of it back to you. And then they, even when they smear, when even when Sarah finishes the roadblock, they eventually get to arrange their taxi ride for free. But I think it was with the same driver, so that's why he was willing to do it because he already gouged them for an extra fifty dollars. I think it was, so it all worked out. And then Olive is able to get away with using Brazilian currency, which is really impressive. Using Brazilian currency in Tanzania. But the the question that is raised here is that I was told, at least last season, that teams had to hand in all of their money after each leg. Obviously, that is not correct for 29. Unless they only used the $320 that they started this leg with. But why would they have Brazilian rail? That's right. Never mind. You're 100% right. So, yes, they do get... It's like they're trying to... Because they realized how much that season 28 tanked that. And 27, to a lesser extent, wasn't really well received by a good portion of the audience. So I think they are trying to do a lot more old school stuff. Like we've, we're going back to things like Zanzibar and Sao Paulo, where they even give them the same helicopter ride where BJ and Tyler famously said, isn't this the most James Bond thing you've ever done? And even reusing a route marker in Panama that was used in Family Edition. It's like we're getting all of these nods along the way to the old school seasons. And then some of the old school rules being brought back and then old-school Amazing Race Canada rules also being brought into play. Yeah. It's nice to see them actually putting effort in again. Yes. Which is too bad, because, like, the demo for the 1849 demographic has already dropped by 20% since the start of the season, which is depressing. Isn't that just down to the fact that it's on at 10 o'clock at night? Probably. But even, like, other shows get high ratings at 10 o'clock at night on other nights during the week for CBS. That's what's troubling. Is it doing better than Training Day or whatever it's replaced? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Because that's the real question. Because if it is, then maybe Tar's a bit safer than we think. I'll have to look that up after the podcast. Or you can look it up right now if you really want to. No, I'll let you look it up. Uh, so we have Liz and Michael leaving in first, with Tar and Joey in second, and Vank and Ashton in third, Matt and Radman in fourth, Becker and Floyd leaving in fifth, uh, London and Logan leaving in sixth, Brooke and Scott leaving in seventh, and then Samir and Sarah in eighth, and Seth and Olive in last. And, yeah, Liz and Michael win a trip to Amsterdam, which we can both vouch for. Been there. Yep. And then Tara and Joey come in, like, a minute later. And they get a really, they get, like, the shortest pit stop uh, interaction out of all nine teams who check in this episode. Even London and Logan. Yeah, even London and Logan got more. And then in perfect, awkward timing, Van Ashton checking in third, and Matt and Redmond checking in fourth. Yeah, real good job, guys. So much, so much, the confrontation, all the drama. Then they accuse, you know, accuse each other of lying. And then Ashton finishes off this interaction the best way possible, saying, I don't really care. I have plenty of other friends. <laughs> I don't need you, Redmond, or Matt. Matt's like a sidebar to the whole team just because of Redmond's personality is so, uh, yeah, it's just. You know, he's much a much bigger uh, personality than Matt does. And then Becca and Floyd check in in fifth, and the fun is off the charts for now. And London and Logan checking in sixth, and Brooke and Scott checking in seventh. But then Becca and Floyd are brought back to the map because they don't have their passports, which makes London and Logan fifth, 
and Brooke and Scott sixth. Yeah, and Scott said it was suffocating uh, when he checked into the pit stop. But then, in the least underwhelming uh, cliffhanger ever. Yeah, the least underwhelming passport drama we've ever seen in 29 seasons. They find Abdul, they get their passport, and Shamir and Sarah actually pass them uh, with a Phil saying, Hi there! In the most, like, I don't know, like, children's show host I've ever seen. It's really, it's a really awkward one, too, in the episode. So it's like I've never heard Phil say that before in my life. <laughs> you get the impression that Phil is a very nice person, and Phil doesn't hate a lot of the racers. Like, he genuinely hated Jonathan. Yeah. Do you think he likes Shamir? To an extent. For now. I mean, like, this was just two days after his whole confrontation with uh, Shamir that probably frustrated him. So I'm sure a bit more time he'll be relaxed with Shamir again. But I still like his little, hi there, uh, when Shamir and Sarah check in. And then Becca and Floyd check in an eighth with Becca full-on FU meter written all over all over her face, especially with uh, saying that Floyd would have a broken nose next time. And was like, she even like mimed punching Floyd in the nose when they were looking for their passport initially, saying, zip up your effing fanny pack, man. <laughs> you are an absolute idiot. I've not even looked at the official Facebook pages and stuff, but I know that Becca's come into a lot of flack for sort of flipping on a dime. <laughs> Unlike uh, Bank and Ashton, Matt and Redmond, who were supposed to be flipping on a dime as well, but Matt and Redmond backed out of that. And that does leave Seth and Olive to be last place and eliminated from the race. With the whole overall, you know, look overlooking the city deep in contemplation. And a surprising early exit, to say the least, of of uh, any American... Usually, like, the, the American season boot orders have been really predictable the past few seasons, where the teams who are on the bottom just end up getting eliminated, you know, week by week. Especially last season, the American version, where, like, only Sherry and Cole were able to slip in and everyone was eliminated in the order you, expect, you would expect them to. But here, Seth and Olive... Very surprising third boot from the season. And they are actually one of the best ranking ninth places ever. Who would be higher than them? Give me a very vague hint once you find it. Oh, you'll you'll know who it is. It's one of Phil's favourite slash least favourite teams. Favourite slash least favourite. Phil despaired of them when they got eliminated. Is it early season or later season? Later season. They came back for an all-star season. Oh, oh. Oh, oh, Jessica and Anders? Exactly, Jessica and Anders have currently got the record for ninth places. My favorite team from Workaholics. You've gotta, you've gotta, you've gotta stay fresh. And then, in second place or ninth places, is Duke and Lauren and Chester and Ephraim. Oh yeah, because Chester and Ephraim did win a leg when they were in season 23. Yep, and Stefan and Antoine as well, and Seth and Olive. Oh, so Seth and Olive aren't even that high on the list. I guess in the grand scheme of things, they're high since there's there's like over sixty seasons in your spreadsheet. They're currently equal three hundred fifty third. <laughs> Man, they're gonna they're gonna love that distinction. <laughs> That's top half. <laughs> Just. <laughs> Just yes, the Seth and Olive are like the halfway point. The seven hundred and forty eight teams so far. Just so you know. Wow. So next week, there is a double leg, Van Can Ashton fight, Brooke breaks down, and Scott is a jackass. <laughs> S- 
Survivor is also uh, two episode or back to back episodes next week, so we get four hours of CBS footage to watch. Yay! And I still have to catch up on seven episodes before the double episode by Wednesday. Yes, you do, and you have to watch Hunted as well. Yeah. Oh, busy couple of weeks for me trying to catch up on everything. Great. And do you agree that there's only going to be one elimination in the next two episodes? Oh yeah, it's got to be non-elimination than elimination. I think that's part of the strategy of having uh, the two episodes air together is because there's always that complaint of, oh, they didn't even eliminate somebody this week. That's so boring. I think they want to try and keep up the whole uh, excitement level up. So who's getting non-eliminated, and then who's getting eliminated? Non-eliminated next week? If it's still... I could see Shamir and Sarah getting non-eliminated just to irritate Phil a little bit. And then I think I think it's got to be Tara... Or and Joey or London and Logan that get eliminated next. Maybe Tara and Joey, because they haven't gotten much airtime. I think it's probably going to be London and Logan, just because I don't think we've seen much of them. No, like we only had the one crocheting scene, and that storyline has already ended. And I feel like Tara and Joey have proven that actually they are pretty good racers when they put their minds to it. Yeah. I was 50-50, but I think you're right. I think London and Logan pretty much have to be next to go. Because neither of them have actually had much of a presence on social media either. So, yeah, they've got to be next to go. But when they go, that means that Shamir and Sarah probably aren't going to be that far behind because of the romance. Oh, what's the romance? It's is it Logan, it's Logan dating Sarah? Yeah, they are very loved up on social media. Okay. So, I think we are probably about done. Yeah, well, under an hour and a half, catching up with three weeks worth of material. Sounds about right. I'm impressed that we we managed to keep it that short. Yeah, shorter than our preview. Yeah, usually it's uh, it's somewhere around two hours for us, so I'm proud of us for for sticking to only an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And this is actually on my uh, newer laptop, so yeah, I didn't uh, actually this podcast went well. <laughs> is this the one that you left in in Ibiza? Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> Just making sure that's on the podcast as well. Yes, I left my laptop behind in the Ibiza airport, and I had to wait a month before I could fly back to the Ibiza airport and collect it on my way to Barcelona and Rome. I just like to, to keep the, the Logan stories on the podcast as well. Because <laughs> you know that right now, after three episodes, we don't have any stories about the other Logan, who has actually been on TV for three weeks. There's only one Logan who we can talk about on this season. <laughs> Great. So, thank you for listening to this UUS Team Number podcast. You can join us next weekend to recap episodes four and five. If you've got any questions, feel free to contact us on our Facebook page, Reality TV Warriors, on our Twitter account, RTV Warriors, or on Twitter pages, MJ Armstrong for me, and Log Super Quacky for Logan. See you next week. Peace out, and chill, till the next episode.